Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology. I'm your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and today we're going to dive in the use of technology around the world for the improvement of public health. My guest is Dr. Padmini Murthy. Professor and Global Health Director at New York Medical College School of Health Sciences and Practice. Dr. Murthy is a physician and an activist who trained in obstetrics and gynecology. She has practiced medicine and public health for the past 28 years in various countries. She also worked as a consultant for United Nations Population Fund. She's the Secretary General of the Medical Women's International Association and its NGO representative to the United Nations. She's also the Global Health Lead for the American Medical Women's Association and many more things. In 2020, she published a book titled Technology and Global Public Health. This is a great read if you wish to get a perspective about public health and technology in countries like Ethiopia, Nigeria, Ghana, Japan, Georgia, Saudi Arabia, Bangladesh and other countries. You will hear more about the book's content. More specifically, a lot has been said about women's health and the impact of COVID had on the topic. The power of mHealth for public health, especially in the developing countries and the use of apps for gender empowerment. Enjoy the show and do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. To learn more, visit www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. Now to Dr. Murthy. Dr. Murthy, your research interests focus on women's health, human rights, and social determinants of health. You also did a lot of work in global health diplomacy and to promote global health with a focus on bridging inequities and promoting gender harmony. You also worked for United Nations uh, Population Fund and received several awards for these efforts. So I wonder, you've been in this space for over 30 years. What would you say were the main progresses made in the field of women's health and public health? You know, I would say like when you say you've been around for like in this arena for 30 years, I feel like a little old. It doesn't matter. But one of the things I have found is we are able to talk more about issues like a period, like menopause, even with our male colleagues. So this is a great, I think, development, especially because there is more focus on sexual and reproductive health after the International Conference on Population and Development. And in 2019, November, the ICPD plus 25 was held in um, Nairobi, Kenya. And I had the opportunity of going there. And it's so nice to see that we are even talking about uh, reproductive health for adolescents, which we didn't when I started my training as a medical student. And, you know, even when I was a practicing physician and went on to do public health. So 
But saying that, we cannot be happy because we still have many more miles to go and there are still taboos. And one of the challenges I find is gender stereotyping. You know, if it's a woman, okay, if you have your menopause, it's fine. You can't talk about it. It is natural. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's not that you cast away a woman just because she's had menopause, because it's like a physiological process. So, and um, I think the other issue we have is there is not enough support for women. I mean, look at that. Even now, so many women are dying in childbirth, which should not be the case. So that's why I think it's so important that we are really looking into this and addressing this. And again, it's just not those of us working in public health. This is like a combined effort by everybody. It has to be all players on the ground, including the government, UN agencies, NGOs, academic uh, institutions, think tanks, and foundations. But the bad part is we haven't made enough progress. And I just want to bring up COVID. I know we're all fed up of listening about the COVID, but you know, this has really impacted women's health and girls' health. For example, periods, girls are getting periods. The pandemic doesn't stop the period unless a girl gets pregnant, but they don't have access to the sanitary, um, you know, uh, products they need. And especially if you are living in a restrictive society when you can't go out, what do you do? Perhaps when you were mentioning that the access to supplies for periods are are limited due to the pandemic, was that more of a reference to the developing countries? Yeah, it is more, I guess, the low and mid-income countries, because even here, I know you're in Europe. So one of the challenges is like women cannot go and if there are no supplies. So I think everybody is facing challenges, Saza. But the issue is the magnitude of the problem is many, many times more in low and mid-income countries. That is the challenge we are facing, you know. Mm -hmm. So this is because so many times, like during the lockdown and curfew, so many people cannot uh, even get access. So that's a challenge we are facing. Previously, you mentioned the issue of um, kind of women's health being stigmatized in a way in low and middle income countries, which is due to culture and misunderstandings regarding periods and other women's issues. So that got me thinking that when it comes to women, women's health is not just about empowering women, it's also about educating men. Absolutely. And men need to work with women because nobody can do it alone. They need to be supportive. And again, as I said, I would like to stress to you, I mean, you know, your audience that this is just not a challenge in the low and mid income countries. It is there globally, but the magnitude is much more. And definitely we need to work with men at all levels. You know, they need Mm -hmm. to understand if they help women, if they address women's issues, then it's the whole community, the household, and the country which will definitely progress because women's health and well-being contributes is one of the biggest social determinants which contributes to a healthy society. In 2020, uh, you published a book titled Technology and Global Public Health. So 
Why did you choose this topic? Why is it important to you? Uh, since, you know, your focus is very on the women's health, uh, public health side. So what happens, uh, the American Public Health Association, which is one of the largest professional bodies of public health professionals in the world, uh, I'm currently the chair of the International Health Section. But a couple of years ago, I organized a session at the public health annual meeting. I mean, we are going virtual now, but there was a time when we actually met face to face and we did have meetings, even though it seems so long ago. It was just like maybe two years down the road. So about three uh, to four years ago, I did a whole session talking about technology and global public health, where we had speakers from different uh, walks of life. And one of the publishers from Springer attended that event and she liked it so much. She said, this is so in tune with what we need. And then she, uh, you know, I've written uh, other books before. And then she reached out to me to say, would you be happy to uh, do this? We said, absolutely. So then, you know, uh, my friend and colleague, Dr. Amy Ansel, who is a nurse practitioner. So I invited her to uh, collaborate with me. And the thing about this, we reached out to people from all walks of life. As you can see, it's just not physicians or health professionals. I have attorneys. I have, you know, scientists, engineers who've contributed. And uh, it was not easy. Because I have contributors from 10 different countries. And let me tell you, what was really interesting is how everybody looked at a different aspect of how technology is going to improve global public health. And now everyone, the underlying theme was how is technology going to improve public health? And then we all do understand that one of the big issues is to look at gender. Because the thing is, I'm not saying it because I'm a woman, I'm a mother but uh, of a daughter. But it's a very important thing is you need to make sure gender is at the focus of anything you look at for us to have equity and equality. And so people ask you, what is the difference between equity and equality? You know, a lot of times people get mixed up with that. But in relationship with this book and technology, equity is to make sure the access to technology and health is the same for everybody. You know, mm -hmm. that is it for. So when you're looking at equality, you distribute it equally. But equity is making sure the person with lesser gets more access. So it is not a discrimination. You're trying to step them up to the same level as others. In this case, often it's women because they are, as you know, for so many reasons at the bottom of the ladder in their access to even using technology. And, you know, and now, as you know, everywhere it's remote learning. And one of the challenges, especially girls are facing is lack of access to mobile phones or tablets, low-cost tablets or computers or internet to do their education. So this is a major challenge which we are facing today. Uh, I hate to say it that COVID not only has it caused so much of economic distress and health distress, but the major, major challenge it has broadened the inequalities into access to technology. So hopefully that will be addressed. And it's not only by you and I talking about this, but it has to be by so many people or even the Internet providers, you know, the private sector. 
giving this at a low cost or no cost for girls and boys because we cannot leave boys also from this technology divide so i think that is something which is important so when i was thinking about it it's like and i was always fascinated by technology since i was young growing up because uh, even though i went into medical school i always found it was fascinating like the flying doctors of australia you know through the radio they could go and then help them and then telemedicine which a lot of us do like buy an x-ray if you need another opinion or a film or a report you just send it to another colleague it can be somewhere else in the world for them to get back so that's why we started looking at how technology is so integral in the practice of public health so mm-hmm. that what is public health it is making sure that the public have the access to the health care they need and the services they need and sometimes this can be a lot faster with using low cost technology too i mean some of the things you have now are amazing you have all these teleconsults you know virtual consults with your physician uh during covid of course they cannot do a virtual surgery but what i'm trying to say is so i think technology is here to stay if we continue with the issue of the gender gap that you mentioned there's a lot of data in your book among them that while in the developing world 25% fewer women than men can access the internet in regions like sub-Saharan Africa, the gender gap approaches 45%. What were perhaps any other data points, statistics or stories that you saw uh, through the book? So there was a very interesting study which was across countries uh, published in 2020. And uh, one of the things they found that when the expansion of mobile phones and women having access to mobile phones both the micro analysis of the data which the researchers uh, like uh, you know their names were uh, they are from so many countries and uh, this paper was published at the university of uh, north carolina at chapel hill which is a well known research university and they said that women were empowered and they could take charge of their health including the sexual health in that they could make independent decisions why because they had access to knowledge and resources which they did not have before and also the mobile phone technology as you know zaza is relatively cheap and more and more people are using their mobile phones to access internet and also to communicate so there have been a lot of studies and this study and even the macro level analysis over 200 countries this is really important reveal that the mobile phone access is again associated with lower gender inequality higher contraceptive uptake and lower maternal and child mortality and this was even found in sub saharan africa now this is later data than what what is mentioned in the book because the book i mean was submitted for publication as you know there's a gap between when you submit the manuscript and when it's actually published but this data is just like about 5 to 6 months old and one of the other important things they found which is really very striking 
is women were able to space their children because they knew the perils of, you know, pregnancies without spacing or having more children or even getting, you know, young girls getting pregnant at a younger age. So this basically really did help in reducing this and uh, getting information across. The other thing I wanted to tell you is one of the NGOs I worked with, we worked with the former first lady of Malawi. You know, Malawi is a country with a very high uh, rate of maternal mortality and morbidity. And one of the things I worked with one of the other NGOs where women were given phone cards because Malawi geographically is a very hilly area. So when women went into labor or they needed to go to the hospital, they could recharge their phone with the phone card so that you put the balance on that. This is a couple of years ago. And they could send a message to the driver because one Scottish philanthropist she donated buses in Malawi and the drivers were paid for. So these women were be able to picked up by the drivers, even if it was in the night. So that is a use of technology. So not only is it a smartphone, but this was they could send a text message using these uh, phone cards. So recharging their phones, their data so that they would not be out of a data. And so coming back to this is uh, the other thing also is why is it important for decision making? Because when a woman has a cell phone, she knows and I'm just looking at my cell phone because I said cell phone. She gets the information and she's able to convince her partners or even in a dialogue to say, this is actually there. This is the data. I have this information. And also there are apps, as you are aware, which tell women about when to go for a health checkup, a well baby checkup. We have that in New York, uh, you know, especially for the Spanish speaking population and other ethnic groups. They have apps, the well baby child, you know, so this is how you can reach out. So this is incorporating technology. So when you know that by using technology, especially mobile phones to increase health literacy, how do countries use this information, you know, for public health purposes? Can you mention a few examples? There are quite a few in the book. One of the things I would like to focus on, especially is because the chapter I wrote on using technology for gender empowerment is using a lot of apps for young women and girls where they can download that on the phone and for them to even access it, like send a message, like there is an app Circle of Sick. Again, um, you know, this was created by this young woman after a horrific experience of day trip on campus, a mm-hmm. college campus. So she developed this app where you input the information of six people into your app and it goes to them so that they are happy. So if you are in trouble just by the press of one button, your information, including where you are, your location is transmitted to the six people on your list. So these kind of apps do help us in understanding what the challenges are and also of how can the functionality of this app maybe be improved. You know, I'm just talking about one app. 
there are so many apps. And the other thing is, as an academic and, you know, like a researcher, we all look at what is the different. It's like a video picture, Zaza. It's like a video movie because you, you know that this is the information being given and this is what it has helped. So you can do like a short analysis, not only a cost based analysis, but also a needs assessment to see how has this helped because it's concrete data. So even though it might not be as much as we would like it to be, but slowly but surely we are getting there. We could not have had this conversation even 10 years ago, you know, or 15 years ago. So mm-hmm. maybe if we have this conversation uh, three years down the road, we might have something else which really is helping us more. So the focus of the book is on exploring universal health coverage in different mm-hmm. countries around the world and the impact of technology on healthcare. And the goal of achieving universal Universal health coverage was adopted by the world's leaders at the United Nations General Assembly already in 2015 under the framework of Sustainable Development Goals, which actually all countries of the world committed to achieving by 2030. Knowing that universal health coverage is quite a political topic and requires policy changes, where is the role of technology in this regard, according to to your view? You know, is it even related, given that universal health coverage is a political issue? Of course, you journalists, you have to ask these hard-hitting questions. And uh, without sounding political, because I'm somebody who's apolitical, but one of the things, if big since you have read the book, I thank you for that, is when you are talking about uh, the universal health coverage, you can see what was done in the country of Georgia and Japan. They have like a national social insurance scheme with multiple insurers. And my understanding is that all the data is tracked. So it is all safe. So you know what are the needs of the population, as I have said. And again, if we talk about privacy issues, not that I want to open that can of worms, but it is the data which is there for people to access. For example, you have the series of various public health interventions like immunization, and then safe water, sanitation in school programs. So all this data is there. So when this is being reviewed by the stakeholders, that is not only the government, the policyholders, but everybody is a stakeholder in that. So you know what works, what needs to be tweaked, and what can go on. So this is really, technology is useful because as I have said, it's also cost beneficial. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And when there are countries with similar existing social determinants and social structure, it is easy for data sharing. Data is what is helping us. And what is helping us collect the data is technology. It doesn't matter whether you're writing it in your book or you're entering it in a program using SPSS or SAS, whatever your researchers use. But this is the marriage, or I would say the fusion of technology and data to give a picture to the stakeholders as to what works and what doesn't work. A few years ago, for uh, you know, to rewind, I did in UNFPA, you mentioned that, yes, I worked as a consultant, did the HIV AIDS update. Those days, you know, we would collect the data and enter everything into a big spreadsheet. Now, one of the things what really helped us is 
to do the interviews. Now there's Survey Monkey. There was no Survey Monkey then. This was a few years ago where we would design the questionnaire and send it via email and some places via snail mail. But you see, when you develop these questions and then you have these different categories, it falls into the categories. So what helps us? Okay, talking to the local leaders, the religious leaders helped us how to tailor our messages to make sure we talk about safe motherhood, about reproductive health without uh, by focusing only on the scientific and the public health aspect. I tell my students, you need to use technology to send positive messages. A tweet can be so powerful or a posting on LinkedIn or Facebook or anything. Full disclosure, none of these companies are paying me to talk about them. But the reason I was mentioning them is because you can get that information out in a second. And with health, that is really a very, very a potent combination. Like look at WHO, Ebola crisis. Then we had uh, the Zika virus. We had swine flu. So actually during the swine flu, some of us were in Turkey for a conference. But what happened is we all knew about the uh, swine flu because we all got emails and we were able to go to the local pharmacy in Istanbul. And I think within two hours, all the mask supplies were gone because, you know, everybody got the mask. So this is technology. Again, I would like to stress low-cost technology and innovation, because that is important too, will help us hopefully achieve, you know, the universal healthcare movement and achieve the SDGs by 2030. And when talking about positive effects and sending a positive message, you know, through social media, one of the topics that's mentioned in the book is the negative use cases of these platforms for things like cyberbullying. So did you do any research about that prior to this issue or was it highlighted kind of in in this sense to you through the book? I am aware of cyberbullying <laughs> being a mother. I mean, I used to tell my daughter when she was younger and I have uh, some students have expressed issues that they have been victims of cyberbullying and they have talked to me as to how this can be addressed. But I think uh, this book, as you said, where there was a mention in the chapter about cyberbullying is really a message to say that, you know, like everything, there is a positive aspect and a negative aspect. But at the same time, technology can also help us track down who is doing the cyberbullying. Several countries were analyzed through throughout the book. What kind of new picture did that give you about the global map? One of the things what really struck me when, you know, all the authors, like, you, for example, the chapter where one of the contributors talked about how technology is used in India. And then in Saudi Arabia, when we had this uh, uh, this young scientist from one of the universities, and it was fascinating because I had lived there for a few years, many, many years ago. And for me to read this chapter was mind-blowing as to how they're using artificial intelligence and other technology to improve uh, the healthcare of the populations. Again, there was this other chapter on how they were using it to design prosthetics also for, um, you know, people uh, who need artificial limbs and how accurately AI could use this and technology in the measurement and everything. This was like amazing because creating a three-dimensional 
figure. And also the other thing in the chapter where they talked about the use of technology in oral public health, because, you know, a lot of times uh, oral health and dental health is kind of put on the back bench. Mm -hmm. And this chapter where we had experts from three different countries talk about it, it was really fascinating or how you can use low cost technology to address it, like look at the fluorine content in the water to prevent fluorosis of what is going on with dental caries. And the other thing we found that, you know, working with one of my NGOs, American Medical Women's Association, where I am the global health lead, we work with a bunch of uh, young people for a not-for-profit, and they printed three-dimensional face shields with a three-dimensional printer, which we shipped to those in need. Now, working with another NGO, we could ship over 80 and a private sector in California, working with a religious NGO, American Medical Women's Association and the private sector. We shipped over 80,000 personal protective equipment, PPE, to the Navajo Nation. Navajo Nation are the people where we have the Native Americans in the United States. They did not have access. So what I'm trying to tell you is technology 3D printer. So can you imagine if you're able to print out in three-dimensional, which can be used? So one thing I have learned, not only doing the research on my book, but doing my work, is you need to hone the technology, like mold it to fit your needs. And you need to control the technology. This may seem funny, but technology cannot control you. You need to control the technology to do what you want. By technology controlling you, I mean is, you know, like cyberbullying. I know somebody is doing it, but we cannot let it take control of you where you think, oh, it's so easy. I can bully anybody. I can, you know, incite things, say things using technology. But so I think this is like really important. And one of the things is like how this is being used, like, you know, this PPE. And also, as you can see, how recyclable pads are there, which is like, uh, which was in the other chapter from Ethiopia, which was written how. And it's so nice to see that men were involved in this chapter where they discussed the use of technology in making recyclable pads. That Mm -hmm. itself shows that how men and women are working together to help men. Um, mobile applications were tried to be used in this pandemic to help with contact tracing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in many cases, the apps were not successful because not enough uh, people uh, use them or are still using them. So, you know, from that perspective, what do you think countries are doing wrong or... If I rephrase the question, what can policymakers and governments learn of the actual potential of using technology for public health? Because on the other hand, you do mention examples such as using SMS uh, notifications for various purposes. I think one of the things is everybody needs to come to the drawing board to see what has worked and what hasn't worked. And we cannot have the disconnect between the app developer, the person who markets the app, and the people who use the app and the policymakers. So, yes, 
you can have something general, but I think it needs to be very targeted and more specific. And for that, we are still learning because, you know, it's like baby steps. It's like when we're all born, we often fall when we try to walk and then we get up and walk. So even using harnessing the technology we have, you know, especially we are talking about disruptors and, you know, we are we are having all these other things because the technology can be disruptive. So it's the way we harness it, as I said, and I think, again, I'm a big believer in teamwork. That's how I work. And I have found that works for me personally to get, you know, my maximum input out. And uh, and it's the same uh, for some of the colleagues I've been fortunate to work with. I think we need to have more than one stakeholder at the table giving specifics as to what they want. You just mentioned, sorry, that some of the apps did not work. So we need to go back to the drawing board to see why didn't they work? What can be done better? An interesting initiative also mentioned in the book called the Mobile Doctors Network in Ghana, which is Uh a network to facilitate communication among doctors. And over 95% of doctors in Ghana have registered to this program. And later on, the program was also transferred to Liberia with huge successes. So perhaps a word or two about that. I think one of the reasons people did sign on to that, again, I did not write the chapter, but, you know, I edited it and I obviously reviewed what was written. But I think one of the key pointers, in my opinion, for the success based on what my colleagues contributed is the simplicity and how it was also messaged. You see, it depends on communication. One thing in public health, especially for using technology, It needs to be targeted. It needs to be simple. And they found that this was helpful. So, and they were open-minded. So I think this is what contributed to the success. And that's why it could be replicated in a country such as Liberia, which has maybe not all, but certain of commonalities in the society and the infrastructure in maybe Ghana, maybe a little more advanced than Liberia in access to technology. But basically, they are developing countries with kind of the same set of problems, more or less, in the same continent. So I think these are some of the things which did. And also the other thing, you know that it's word of mouth. Maybe the doctors from Ghana, I mean, all the time I'm in touch with my colleagues across the world. We share information. We say, you know what? I've used it. This is really good. So when you give a personal recommendation, I think it does go a long way. Are there any ideas from the book or findings that you came across through this research that kind of sparked a new idea for your further research? So, you know, what was kind of your main takeaway from this whole project and, you know, how is it going to help you uh, in the future? One of the things which struck me is when I was looking at how artificial intelligence is so useful And, you know, artificial intelligence is still relatively new compared to some of the other technologies. And I think if I ever think of doing another project or writing another book, I would really like to do kind of an analysis or uh, compare how the SDG 3 and SDG 5 and even environment, you know, which is so important, can be addressed so that uh, we can meet uh, the SDG targets 
more effectively and efficiently using artificial intelligence. I am pretty much fascinated by artificial intelligence. It can really save lives. I mean, imagine if you can identify a genetic issue in a, a population due to the chemicals they were exposed to. And in vitro, you can um, address this gene sequence to, without sounding too technical, to repair the gene. And you have healthy people. Can you imagine the amount of money it will save and how much productivity? Because it reduces the disability adjusted life years, right? DALIs, which the World Health Organization uses as a measure for productivity in some cases. So can you imagine uh, if artificial intelligence helps you and this thing becomes, you know, as common as maybe now uh, you're going to a dentist to get an implant? But again, not to get carried away and think technology is going to solve everything. There needs to be the human factor always intertwined and interlinked with technology. So I think my message is what I learned. Technology is useful, but it needs to be with the human connection. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, Leave a rating or a review by going to www.lovethepodcast.com slash faces of digital health and you will be redirected to the platform appropriate for your device. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.